0: With AWB contract
1: templates. And we live in this relentless rush pace that really supports colonial time and all of the constructs that are a part of those systems. Being able to look at time differently, to start to see it in relationship as an entity, as a friend, as a way of being and getting connected with our personal rhythms and pace, that is a resistance of dominator culture
0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to Pause on a Play. As always, it's amazing to see you here where you are challenged to reconsider your normal and consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here to get the dialogue going. Y'all, my voice is a little bit on the struggle bus, but that's okay. We're still going to keep the party going. (laughs) I am not going to stop talking because... I want to make sure that I tell you about this episode, and honestly, I am just so excited for you to really just take this in, whether it's through listening to the episode or uh, being able to go over and take in the article that was, was created for it, if you prefer written form, because there was so much here. I was fortunate to just kind of be given so much to consider and so much education and possibilities and things to ponder. Like I am so grateful to know that I am given that opportunity when I interview these amazing humans and that I am able to provide this to you to take your own learnings from it and to consider your own normals. And to reconsider them, to reestablish what feels good going forward. And so, so excited for you to take in this episode with Ishel Lunar. Ishel is a decolonial time mender and a mestiz, vice mayor of Petaluma, California. At a mighty four foot 10, they are a light skinned, indigenous, queer, vision impaired, neuroemergent medicine carrier, and even ran for Congress in 2011. As the oldest Gen Xer of a vast mist family, they learned to create belonging and lots of spicy food by weaving on-the-ground politics, deep training in ancestral ways of being, plant medicine, and exploring shared stories written in the fabric of time. After escaping the U.S., they learned perizoso medicine from sloths in the highland jungle of Nicaragua for five-plus years before returning to their ancestral lands of Mexico. Michelle shared so much and it was such an enveloping and welcoming episode. I can't wait for you to just really listen into what I talked about with them and just take in all the benefits of it. Now, as you listen to the episode in the future and then take what is for you then, but to know that it is all here for you. We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the stolen land of the Susquehannock, Piscataway, the people, native to this area known as Maryland. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, Isha. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here on Pause on the Play. How's your day so
1: far? It is beautiful. It is really beautiful. We have sun today, so that's really nice. Yes. I think we're supposed to get rain again at some point.
0: Yesterday was what felt like flooding downpours at some point, I'm like, okay, there's something with nature that is not happy right now. <laughs> so I'm going to take that message and I'm going to go home. <laughs> so the weather has been definitely really interesting so far this summer, but having those moments of just being able to feel the, the glow of the sun, it, it, it makes a difference in your day. I have to agree completely. So I want to ask you a few questions, but I would actually love to really just begin by you sharing something about yourself that maybe people don't know. Something that's maybe um, like, oh, I didn't know that 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 was true for you or, oh, I didn't know you've um, experienced that or that you felt that way. Because I would love to really Set the stage for this very necessary conversation by people getting a little bit of an understanding of Ishelle as the human. Mm, thank you.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that's been really alive for me in who I'm becoming, you know, that never ending journey, mm-hmm. is really about the way that I talk about um, where I live and and that. I am re-immigrating rather than fleeing the United States. I've been living outside the U.S. for over five years now and living in Central America, Nicaragua, under a di- dictatorship. And, um, you know, that in and of itself is like a whole ball of wax. And now I'm living in Oaxaca, Mexico, re-immigrating to the, at least the nation of um, my ancestors and eventually we would like to be able to visit and get more acquainted with the the ancestral lands of my ancestors but for now i'm living in oaxaca and re-immigrating and just really feeling the sort of nuance of being an outsider and also feeling more like I belong to the place Mm. that I'm living. So, yeah.
0: Just kind of listening to you say that it's, I think it's so interesting because often I don't think that people pause long enough to even really pay attention as to whether or not they're integrated into where they are or whether or not it feels inherent or like home or any of those things. I think they just do and they don't really acknowledge the being. And mm-hmm. so everything that you said, I'm like, ooh, that piece, that just kind of, you know, the the noticing, the acknowledging, the feeling, again, all going back to the being, I'm like, that, that piece. So I'm curious to talk with you about this concept of decolonizing time. It's not something I'd ever heard before. And when I read it on your website, I was like, oh, I don't know what this is. And I need to know what this is. Um, And what you were just mentioning with, you know, where you are now and where you've been um, from, like, from the perspective of where you've been living feels very related and very tied to that. So I would Absolutely. love, I'm, and that's where I'm like, oh, I want to go there. So I'm curious if you can just start by sharing what the concept of decolonizing time means.
1: Yeah. So I grew up, um, neurodivergent and really struggled with time and my relationship to time within dominator culture. And, um, I I use white supremacy culture, dominator culture, really meaning the same thing. And for me, that, that struggle was about my perception of time feeling different than what the rest of the culture experienced and the pace and the the rhythms that, that people went by. Mm -hmm. And, really coming to understand what that was for myself didn't really come into shape until I moved to Nicaragua. And it was there that I really got the sense that what had been characterized as time in the United States was very different from the experience that I was having in in Nicaragua. And... I really enjoy observing others as a way of learning. And so I started to notice some differences and some, some relational sort of aspects that were popping up in uh, conversations that other extraños, other people, immigrants from, you know, the United States or other countries living in Nicaragua, would say about the people, the locals and time in particular and the struggle around people showing up on time, um, people saying that they would do something at a particular time and then not. And what I, what I noticed was this sense of the experience of time and the relationship with time was different. And, some of what was happening with the locals was that they live in a different relationship with time, but also what I came to observe was there was a resistance to colonial time. Mm -hmm. And so there is this sort of, we can't really talk about decolonizing time unless we also really acknowledge what colonial time is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I sort of, categorize it in four ways, colonial time. Um, And this comes from things that I've learned from a number of other folks, in particular, stolen time. If you've ever uh, heard Dr. Brittany Cooper talk about stolen time, there's a great TED talk where she really acknowledges the difference between BIPOC folk and the way that we um, have had our time stolen from us, that we are not a part of history, that um, our time has been stolen from dominator culture, from us. And I think that's a really important distinction around how people experience past, present, and future. And so there are some amazing Afrofuturists that are really exploring that um, that whole aspect of stolen time and, and becoming present within time and seen and visible and then divided and perfected. You know, this is, this is pretty obvious. It's clock time. It's, you know, the 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year, you know, 60 seconds, 60 minutes, that whole Perfection of time that, um, especially sort of the scientific Western mind likes to, to characterize time as this thing that can be really counted and, and, um, and witnessed. And, and what we really understand in indigenous time is that time is relational. It's in, it's in relationship to the cosmos and the the planets and the natural systems, which are can't be perfected. They're they're not um, in perfection. And then time has been commodified in dominator culture. It's that that salary for for time aspect. You know the way that we really connect time with money, mm-hmm. and and the limited time that we have in the day in order to earn. That money. And then lastly, I I really like to share Tyson Yonka Porter's um, concept of outsourcing of time. And this one really connects to the mining and the use of the earth and its natural resources um, as resources. When we overutilize the um, the physical aspects of the planet, the, the rocks, the minerals, water, air, all of those things, we're actually stealing time from the earth itself. We're outsourcing uh, our future. We're taking what is the future time of the planet and its existence because um, we are outsourcing the entropy of the planet when we change matter into energy, right? That is an outsourcing of time and of entropy from the future.
0: Oh my gosh, there's so much there. I don't even know where to start. I, (laughs) well, and I'll say like stolen time, I was um, aware of like that concept because yes, um, what was it? I believe when I read Eloquent Rage, if I'm thinking of the same person, I believe that that may have come up um mm. and I remember I, I feel like it's it's come across um my radar but when you mentioned like divided and perfected I was like oh that the right there immediately kind of at home I was like that is something that obviously we are conditioned and normalized to understand what it is and maybe there's not an understanding as to why it feels counterintuitive to how Mm -hmm. we really create it to exist but that made perfect sense and you know with the commodification and outsourcing of time both made total sense and those are the ones that I had no awareness of and yet it all makes perfect sense and understanding that really that like you said that decolonizing of time you have to begin with understanding what is the um, what is kind of colonial time. And so with that, with what you mentioned, is uh, where I would like to kind of explore the intersection is, you know, we've talked about what colonial time is and you shared what decolonizing time means. But I would also love to learn from you what does it mean to relearn indigenous cyclical time as it's something that I had not ever heard the concept of before
1: yeah so as we're decolonizing there's a real central piece that I think is really helpful to to really understand and that is that colonization is the separation of people uh, place land it's really that that taking people from their land and the relationship that they have with land at its core mm-hmm. and decolonizing is a way of getting back in relationship with the land at, at its essential place, but also with other people, um, you know, with, with time itself. And as indigenous like to um, sort of, Characterize time as very hyper And this is something that I have seen through many different indigenous cultures around the planet in the way that they talk about their relationship with time being very hyper-local. And so to really start to relearn indigenous cyclical time is to get connected and be in relationship with the land that you're on and the the cycles that are happening at that location Mm -hmm. the seasons you know vary depending upon the place that we are at all over the, the the globe and there are you know even between central america and north america there's four seasons throughout most of north america but in Central America, there's really only two. There's wet season and dry season. <laughs> and that was um, pretty interesting to, to sort of come to realize that that um, even my concept of seasons was very much um, disrupted when I moved to Central America. and And so really starting to relearn what's happening around us is... You know, you, you talked about the way that we, we sort of don't, we're not even aware necessarily of the, the land that we're upon. Mm-hmm. And, and so to, to really start to observe and, and connect and, and be aware of what's happening around us uh, within the natural world is a very different, um, way of being for a lot of people in dominator culture and it's really the place where we can start to observe the characteristics of time where we are the mayan calendar is is really quite a description of that relationship with time the mayans my my culture um the Mayan calendar is this characteristic of time itself. Mm-hmm. And it's it's also the energetics of um the relationship with the sun. So the there's two parts to the Mayan calendar, the thirteen tones, which are the energetics that increase in intensity over the 13 days, which they call a trisena. It's like a week, but it's 13 instead of seven days. And then the Nawal are the characteristics of each day. There, there's 20 of them and they're connected to animals and people, ancestors. Uh, the night is one. Uh, there's a variety of, of different Nawals and they're really characteristics describing what time feels like on that day and when you connect it to the intensity or the tone of the day you get this overall sense this rhythmic pattern of what time is like within uh, the mayan communities what's interesting though is that there are different calendars living calendars today timekeepers, keepers day keepers watching and observing those calendars in various locations throughout Mexico and Central America. So time isn't necessarily the same in Central Mexico as it is in Southern Guatemala, for instance, and those calendars are different and they they sort of um, are shifted a little bit because of that, because of the way they're describing time and their relationship to it in those locations. I think that is so incredibly
0: interesting because obviously so much of what the majority of us are aware of is to homogenize everything and to normalize it and to make it easily digestible. And it goes across a very small spectrum of possibilities. And that obviously not only just to oversimplify waters it down, but it is full of erasure and miseducation. Mm -hmm. Um, and it really does lead you to think that, you know, going back to the divided and perfected, it's this easy to do this. And if you cannot operate within this, um, very narrow paradigm, then somehow you are outside of the norm. And that in itself, you know, is very clearly a colonizer activity to mm-hmm. to really even do that and it's it's interesting to think about the fact that everything that we've really learned about uh the time and the space that we have to do things or to exist um is is not it's not accurate and it's not accurate because it's not accurate for everyone in one very simple way it's not that simplified and there's so much erasure of the local being piece that you just mentioned, because I, when you said the the piece about seasons, I'm like, Oh, that, because it's really easy to just think, Oh, well, you're, you're on the other side of the world. And so it's summer here and it's just winter there. And that's still an over again, oversimplification that it has to fit into this one paradigm or, you know, it's almost like this does not compute. Like, how's that possible? And it's like because it's all possible. We were just told it wasn't. It? That's a whole rabbit hole, and it will break my brain if I try to go there. I won't. I won't do that to the listeners. I won't do that. But everything that you said, it honestly, it's I'm. It, it's just kind of so interesting to me that it's all going back to that initial piece of that being and realizing that. Everything that we've been taught is the simplified, normalized, this is what you do, is just about the disconnecting us from being wherever we are in that moment and to honor that and to let that be itself.
1: Yeah. And colonial time really wants to to keep that normalization and that that edification of institutions of the systems that support dominator culture, all of that. It, it really wants that experience of time to be reinforced right. of, of those institutions. And, and so being able to look at time differently to start to see it in relationship as an entity, as a friend, um, as, as a way of being and getting connected with our personal rhythms and pace, that is a resistance. Of dominator culture and it's it's um you know it shakes things up for sure. Like um yes. once you start to unsee once you start to to see that this wasn't how it was meant to be, that you know, only five or six hundred years ago, the majority of people on the planet had many, many days of leisure, quote-unquote quote leisure time, that they really only had to work one or two days a week for a couple of hours to really be in connection with the land and to have everything provided for them. And we live in this relentless rush pace that really supports colonial time and all of the constructs that are part of those systems
0: reconsider your normal this is what can take you from being in a box to breaking it on your terms bi-weekly india jackson co-founder of pause on the play has conversations exploring branding and visibility own your values and amplify your influence by giving the flaunt your fire podcast a follow today Having conversations about what it is to decolonize your time. How does it feel to reintegrate and to relearn Indigenous cyclical time? These types of powerful conversations and again, the actions that come with it, they don't happen in a vacuum. It happens when you are in community, when you are in conversation with others and you allow yourself to be open and willing to discuss what's possible where you are learning, unlearning, relearning, and the impact that you want to make and knowing that you don't have to do it alone. These are the reasons why Pause on the Play the Community exists. And even though it's not always easy, it's always necessary. And the reality is, is that being an imperfect ally sometimes means that you have to take care of yourself as you're going through your process and your journey. Our allyship sound bath meditation is one of those examples. It is something that during the height of just kind of burnout for me and knowing that I had so much to do, it was something that helped to soothe my nervous system and help me to rest and regenerate my system. And this is one of the amazing resources that you have access to inside of the community that you can access at any time on your own schedule because it is there to support you in the ways that you need it when you need it. If you want to learn more, you can come on over to pauseontheplay.com forward slash community. Learn more and join us today. So, of course, the thing that kind of arises for me is wondering when you do think about relearning, how it is that you know time can be regarded as an entity and being able to regard it you know as our friend and and not something that we are trying to control or um, go through as fast as possible where do you even begin to to get to that because that's a very different state of mind
1: yeah i I really encourage folks my clients in particular to start to center pleasure and joy and the flow state and all of those things as a way of connecting with time as a friend we we live in this relentless pace and this um so i just came across a term a friend of a friend had shared called hurry sickness, which is more of a like it's it describes what I see, but on an individual level. And I always like to sort of reframe those individual experiences that we have um, around dominator culture back into the systems that are created. That keep us separate and keep us unaware that we are all experiencing these things that we're not supposed to, you know, that are that are sort of these echoes and and problems of dominator culture that that keep us separate in the in the first place. And so, being able to center joy and pleasure uh, and rest and um, the things that fill us up. At the beginning of our day, as much as possible to sort of carve out and create some space for that to exist. And it's not necessarily something that is done on an individual level. It can be done, you know, within our group collectives as well. Mm -hmm. Um, it starts to expand our time in a way that can help us become resilient to that that hurry sickness.
0: I have never heard that term, and it has absolutely blown my mind just from you saying it. I was like, oh, that. Because everything is always based around move faster, do more quicker, um, you know, rush, 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 everything. It's always about hurrying more and more and more. And I don't think that there's a lack of, we know that we're making ourselves sick. We don't know what it is. And we have a hard time acknowledging that part of it is our own doing. And that it it is, it is kind of the role that we're playing in upholding the colonization of just being able to be and exist and, being robbed of that chance. Mm -hmm. And it has physical, mental, and emotional ramifications. And that does not acknowledge what we do to literally the physical world around us. It does not acknowledge the energy that we are putting out and that we are sharing with those that are around us. And just the keeping ourselves in this just constant state of, of being frenzied and unable to um, be present. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. So the thing that I'm curious about is I, I, when you mentioned the joy and, and really putting that first, um, and it was a word that came up this morning when India and I were talking, it was the word savor. Mm. And it's that moment of slowing down and really absorbing and enjoying and catching the nuances and the small layers and edges and fullness of, of you know, literal things as well as emotional and mental and spiritual um, when you mention that it's so easy to go with what we've been conditioned to do, which is to do your work and then you can play, then you can do the things you want to do, but you have to earn it first. And it, it, in my head, I'm like, I feel like that has to be one of the most challenging things for people to do when you are guiding them through decolonizing their time and relearning indigenous cyclical time and being able to regard time as our friend is do you think that that you know really putting pleasure and enjoyment and savoring first do you feel like that's kind of one of those big or the initial challenges that people are encountering
1: it's huge it's it's and it's where i start with folks because Once we can do that, once we can really start to savor the moments to be present with time, with our lives, with our pace, with our rhythms, that's when we start to see the expansion of time. There's such a time scarcity that comes into play with all of the rushing Mm -hmm. because it's hard to be present through all of that and when we can really put it first put that pleasure that joy that that savoring that um that ability to rest Mm -hmm. then we're we're really unlearning that commodification of time the commodification is so much about the earning first and then you know it's that that puritanical work ethic of you know doing that work first and then you can play that that concept that you know five days of the week or even six Mm -hmm. sometimes seven for some folks yes (laughs) in order to have that weekend that that you get you get that you know weekend and and really it's you know it's 16 hours of a wakefulness if it's a weekend that you get to have presence and the rest of the time you give to your employer. Right. And yeah, it's, it's so, um, it's so harmful. It's, it's, and it's not what we're meant for, you know, as, as human beings on this planet, um, There's so much that can come out of that savoring and the relationships that we have with one another and being in those spaces of relationship that are so restful and fulfilling. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine I hadn't spoken to yesterday and an hour and 20 minutes went by so quickly. And it was, it was just a wonderful chat that we had. It was catching up and, um, whatnot. And I have an aura ring. I, I track my sleep with it, but it also mm-hmm. connects to when I am regulated. It will show up as what they call, uh, heart rate variability. And, um, during that, that chat, I had heart rate va- variability come up and register as rest. Heart rate variability being regulated in our nervous system um, is equated with resting. And And so I just loved that that appeared uh, in my data of, of my ring yesterday, that like, yes, this this being in relationship, being regulated – being connected with the world around us is so restful and so good for our bodies and good for the world around us. And dominator culture doesn't want that. No,
0: no, (laughs) it does not. Of of course, now I'm going to have to later on ask you because I want to know about this aura ring because I am so curious. I'm like, I need this (laughs) and not from a like, I just need things, but that awareness of when your body is doing its thing and when, when maybe you're not even recognizing that this is how it is resetting or refueling or refilling. I find that absolutely fascinating and that, that please. Um, <laughs> um, I do have one other thing that I'm curious about when it comes to, How everything that you've done, again, around um, not just the decolonizing your time, but just the entire resetting of the way that you process it and how you exist, you know, within its parameters when you're in different locations. Um, Because, again, like you mentioned, wherever you are at that moment, it's not going to be the same as where you were. Um, How has that kind of shifted the way that you exist for yourself in relationship with your clients, because I feel like this is a very different way of being. And so having clients and some type of um, work that you do for them within your brand, you have to completely shift that from the prescribed way of, of operating. So how is that different for you?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a real liminal space. And it's something that I like to help folks to see. When we begin decolonizing our time, we have to acknowledge that it is a liminal space that we, we are both existing in dominator culture and colonial time and sort of making space for this new way of being. And that's a real challenge for folks that, you know, live in the binary um, that either or thinking mm-hmm. that like we want to just be in this decolonized space and that's not how the world is at this moment, but we can all be doing this, decolonizing, reconnecting, you know, deepening our relationships to each other, to the land, and still exist within colonial time. There is a yes and kind of a both that's happening that helps us sort of get beyond that binary. Um, be, being able to be comfortable in a liminal space and um, and and to be be able to be uncomfortable at the same time and to be curious about that that uh, uncomfortability instead of so, so many folks are afraid of being uncomfortable, right? We know this mm-hmm. and yes. And so to be able to sort of hold, hold that capacity uh, and that curiosity for the liminal space that, that maybe this generation won't completely have the experience of being decolonized. It may not be for many generations. It, it took quite a while to get to where we are today, but if we can start to hold space for these new ways of being and, and the old ways of being that were so, essential for the resilience of BIPOC folk, that we're still here today, that resilience that, ha- you know, we didn't get erased. We're not letting that happen. And right. expanding that space for what can be over over time into the future.
0: I love the both and, and what you said is, is accurate. And that I think when people... Um, happen upon that realization that they are in a liminal space area of their their evolution or their journey. There can sometimes be that rush to push through it because they don't want to be there. Um, and sometimes there is knowledge to be gained by allowing yourself to not push through because of the discomfort and really exploring what's happening, particularly like you mentioned, when you're in a space that, not that it's impossible, but it is very challenging to completely be out of the colonized pieces because of where the world is. Because there's this space of having to acknowledge, like, this is what the world is. And as much as we would like it to be a little different, it is what it is in this moment. And so how can we make the most of that as opposed to, you know, kind of mourning what we don't have? Um mm-hmm. And I think being able to have that both and um, and being able to invite more and more space in for that and, you know, I, I think there's so much there. And it's just kind of giving yourself that permission to navigate that and to know that, you know, we're we're doing what we can and continuing to make progress. And that's really what it is. Yeah all of this. This has been such a good, I am so happy (laughs) that we had this conversation. And I have to say a million times over, thank you, because you have given me so much to think about in a beautiful way, because I was not aware of a lot of these things. However, I also, you know, we all have our own unlearning to do and being kind of presented with opportunities to to learn and do and be better is something that I highly appreciate. And I'm very fortunate to have listeners that are as well. So for you being willing to share, again, a million times over, thank you for that.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Oh,
0: of course. And before we go, I have to ask the last question, which is if you were to want the listeners to take one action to create change after taking in this amazing dialogue and learning opportunity today. What would that one action to create change be?
1: Mm, I love this. Yeah. I would encourage folks to find a place on the land that they're living. Even if it's, you know, um, multi-housing complex, find some place where you can connect on a regular basis with the world outside. Whether it's a, a tiny little spot of land outside your door, a balcony, a park nearby, just find some place where you can start to establish that relationship with time in your location and observe what's happening throughout the seasons to get connected with that one place and see what comes up for you. See if you notice a shift in your being, a change in your pace, something that the that the land itself wants to share with you about the way of being. So good, so
0: good, so good. Thank you so, so, so much, Ishael. And so I know people are going to want to learn more about you and the way that you guide people through decolonizing time and just what it is that you want to share about what you're learning and the conversations you're having and to be a part of those. So where can people learn more about you, what you do and how you do it?
1: Yeah. So I I have two things to share. One is my dragon letters, which is a about twice monthly newsletter, where I'm basically sharing a dose of decolonization, looking at lots of different ways of decolonizing. Uh, last month was around decolonizing stress and reframing stress, especially you know how it relates to health and that sort of thing, uh, and. If folks sign up for that newsletter, I have a podcast that a personal private podcast that'll go to the listen to the subscribers where they can listen to five episodes around decolonizing time, going much deeper into some practices and um, talking about flow, which is this, um, you know, what I call our birthright, this state of being where we are so connected with the world around us and amazing magical things happen in that state. So, um, yeah, so folks can can get more connected with that newsletter. And then from there in the podcast, I share with folks this practice of, of wild presence. And that's really the work that I do with clients. And we do that in collective because you, you really can't do decolonization alone or not meant to. It's really about coming back into our collectives and getting a sense of how this is impacting us all so that we can work together for the solutions of, of Dominator culture, getting rid of Dominator culture and and creating these new ways of being with each other.
0: Absolutely, love. So I, I want all of this, so I will be signing up. <laughs> and I highly suggest anyone that is listening to this to explore this possibility. And if it feels as though you have the capacity right now to sign up, because I think in all the work that we are all doing um, independently and collectively as imperfect allies, that the concepts that Ishal is bringing are absolutely going to support that. So for everything that you have shared with us and instructed us on today and the opportunities and possibilities that you have presented us with for your time. Thank you so much, Ishael.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: This episode had so much that I was fully unaware of presented to me. And I'm just so appreciative because, you know, Ishael really kind of mentioned that with being given this type of information, sometimes the ground can feel a little shaky under you. And it's such a kind of shaking up of what we've always been taught. And yet everything that they shared with me and with you feels so much more inherent and so much more aligned. And so I'm just so excited to explore this for myself. I'm excited for everyone listening to explore this. I'm excited to figure out how to learn more from Michelle because they just had this way of sharing in a way that I felt so open. And I hope that you were able to experience that too. And I, again, hope that whether it's now or later, that you are open to considering how it is that you can Decolonize your own time and just really relearn indigenous cycles and ways of being that are going to be more suited to the type of impact that you want to create. So, for each and every week, you being here, taking in these conversations, being open to possibilities, and being willing to share that with those that are around you, those that you are in community with, for all of that and more, I thank you for being here and taking in these real conversations as we are normalizing the challenging things and making them a part of our everyday exchanges. Together, this is how we cross lines and recreate boundaries to support, not separate. Together, we can continue getting more people to drop the veil while challenging their thoughts, feelings, actions, and state of being. So until the next time, Keep the dialogue going. Bye. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From Implicit to Explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person, or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take, and then sharing this information across your team explicitly, this is what creates confidence and integrity and what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?